I heard this illustration by one of my favorite pastors, and, and in this illustration, he addresses uh, relationships, and not just marriage relationships, but I'm talking about friend relationships, coworker relationships, uh, family relationships, all of those things he addresses. And so this morning, without further ado, I would love to introduce to you, for the first time ever to be on the stage here in our Norwalk campus, would you please help me to introduce to you Mr. and Mrs. Mug. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, and, and Mr. and Mrs. Mug here, the, I, just let me tell you a little bit about them before they share. Uh, they met right out of college, and um, like most people, when they see each other, Mr. Mug, he saw her, and he went, ooh. And then, and then Mrs. Mug, she saw him, and she said, nice. And, and of course, Mr. Mug had a lot going. He had just graduated college. He had a degree, and he had a promising future. And Mrs. Mug, well, I mean, just look at her. She's, she's gorgeous. She's got everything going for her. And so they were attracted to each other, and so they decided to start dating. And, and so they were dating. Things were going well. They were hanging out, and they were, they were being so careful with each other. And, and, and he was trying to win her heart, and she was trying to win his affection, and they were being so careful with each other. And sure, like most relationships, they had a few little bumps along the way, but nothing, nothing too crazy because they were being so careful. Everything was going to be so great for them. And then they got married. Well, it was really only about a month or two into their marriage when, um, when they had a little problem. And, uh, you know, it was during this problem that, that stuff came out. A lot of stuff. And, and, and he looked at her for the first time and he went, whoa, where did that come from? And of course, she looked at him and said, well, I didn't know you had anger issues. And he said, I didn't have anger issues until you bumped me. And there it is again. And then it was, are you at least being entertained, I hope, if nothing else? I mean, I feel ridiculous up here. Oh, gosh. Let me go on. So a couple of months later, they had another problem. And, and of course, like most people, well, she went to go visit her sister. And, and it was when visiting her sister, she said, I didn't know that he was like that. And so he went to go, uh, he probably went to a movie, guys don't go see anyone. He sat at home. He, he sat there, and he was frustrated, and he, and he said, I, I, she 
She makes me so mad. And, and whenever she brings that up, I get so mad. If she would just quit bumping me like that, then I wouldn't get so mad all the time. And then he said these words. Don't ever say this, men. He said, my wife has issues. And then he said to her, Mrs. Mug, when we were dating, you, I didn't see all of this. Where, where is this coming from? And then, and then she said, well, well, every time we get into an argument, you make me act this way. Now, now, now here's what I want you to see. Is, even though this has been silly, here's the point. Mr. Mug thinks that the reason blue beads keep coming out of him is because she's bumping him. And, 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 and Mrs. Mug thinks that pink beads keep coming out of her because of Mr. Mug and the problems, and he keeps bumping her. But that is not the truth. If we're really going to talk about the truth of this matter, here's the truth. Blue beads keep coming out of Mr. Mug because that's what's in him. Pink beads keep coming out of Mrs. Mug because that is what's in her. And this brings us to the bottom line for this morning that I want you to take away. That which is in you will eventually come out of you. That which is in you in your heart is eventually going to come out of your heart. And depending on what comes out of your heart, you're going to have a really big mess on your hands. And these messes, they start in our hearts. And that's why we want to take some time this morning to address the mess of our hearts. And I, when I talk about the heart, I'm not talking about that, that physical part of us, that pumping muscle that circulates blood. I'm not talking about that heart. I'm talking about that deep place within us, that place that feels extreme pain and hurt, as well as extreme joy and pleasure. It's that place that drives our hearts and our dreams. And in fact, this place that I'm speaking of, our hearts, the Bible mentions the heart almost a thousand times within its pages. And during, its and during it in the Bible, it defines the heart in this way. It says that it is the spiritual part of us where our emotions and our desires dwell. All of us have this place within us, each and every one of us. Now the biggest question is, or the biggest reason, I should say, for the mess of our hearts is that we all have a heart problem. Each and every one of us has a heart problem. And Jeremiah, he writes these verses, and they're, they're very sobering verses, not very encouraging ones. And he says that the heart is deceitful above all things, and beyond all cure, he says, who can understand it? And in other words, Jeremiah is saying this, and I'm going to use some churchy words here for a moment. He's saying that all of us, every single one of us, at the deepest level, at our emotions, at our mind, at our desires, all of those things have been tainted, tainted by a word called sin. 
And none of us is without sin. In fact, Paul says the same thing in Romans. He says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all have this problem. It is in all of us. One of the issues, though, is that we can become blind to this. Often, it's our emotions that cause this blindness. And so another favorite pastor of mine, his name is Kerry Newhoff, and, and he says this, that it's never as bad as you think when you're emotional, and it's likely not as great as you think either. For emotions can make you see negative things more negatively than you should and positive things more positively than you should. This is a problem. And this is what causes a mess because if the heart is at the seat of our emotions and our emotions cause at least temporary blindness, then think about all of the poor decisions that you make when you're emotional. I mean, just think about some of the things that have happened to you in your life when you were emotional. Maybe when you were emotional, you said some terrible things that you later regretted. Or, or maybe when you were emotional, you lost your temper in a meeting. Or, or maybe you bought a car, even though you couldn't really afford it, all because you were emotional. Maybe when you were emotional, in the heat of a moment with your husband or wife, you said these words, that I want a divorce. Or maybe, like some of us, when you were emotional, you ate way too much. Or you drank way too much. Or you drove too fast and you got a ticket. Or, or you almost quit. Or worse than that, you did quit. Maybe you crushed your kid's spirit when they got home from school out of your emotions. Maybe you weren't there for a friend who needed you the most. In other words, you made a mess because of your emotions. And even Jesus, he gets in on this and, and, and he addresses the mess of our hearts and he says this, he says, For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come with it, from within, they are what defile you. Now I don't know about you, but when I read this list, that scares me to death, because if that is what is in me, and our bottom line is this, that which is in you will eventually come out of you. If that is true, and those things are in me and in you, then our hearts are causing some horrible messes in our lives. You know, I guess as I'm moving forward now, I'm going to just assume that we're all on the same page. I'm assuming that that we all believe what Jeremiah and Jesus have both said about our hearts. I, I'm going to move forward uh, assuming we're in agreement that we all have a heart problem. And so I guess the question that we all need to collectively ask this morning is what do we do about our heart problem? And the first step out of three that I want to give you is this. To first to address the mess of our hearts, we first need a new heart. A brand new heart. Now, I've, I've gotten this wrong so many times, so don't follow my mistake. My mistake was so many times I've approached this in thinking this, that I've thought, well, I can just keep my current heart and I'll patch it up. 
I'll, I'll, I'll get better. I'll do better. I'll, I'll work harder. I'll do good things more and I'll do bad things less and, and I'll fix it all up myself. I'll patch it up. However, this is not what God says here is going to clean up the mess. He says that we need a new heart. And the great thing is, is he promises to give us that heart. In fact, look at this verse in Ezekiel. He says, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you and I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. This heart transplant occurs when we confess the selfishness and deceitfulness of our own hearts. And we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And when we put our faith in Jesus and he saves us, he gives us a brand new heart with a brand new spirit. In fact, in Romans 10, Paul goes on to say, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Listen, our hearts are not fixer-uppers. They are not. They are total knockdown, removal, replacement. They're not fixer-uppers, and this is only possible through Jesus Christ. This is not something we can do on our own. We need Him to give us a new heart. So addressing the first step in addressing the mess of our hearts is recognizing the selfishness of my old heart and asking God to give me a new heart. But you might say this. You might say, Charles, you know, I believe, and I've asked God to give me a new heart. But maybe you're saying, you know what, that hasn't seemed to stop the messes. Or, or maybe you're here this morning and you're on the opposite side. Maybe you're saying, you know what, I don't, I don't believe. Or I don't think I believe. And, and I haven't asked God for a new heart. And maybe that's because you've seen Christians who were supposed to have new hearts and they didn't look any different. They were still struggling with the same junk that you're struggling through. Their new heart didn't seem to make a difference in their life. So what's the point? And this is going to lead us to the second step of addressing the mess of our hearts. Because I want to tell you, even if you have a new heart and a new start, it's still easy for our hearts to become infected and, and I can still wrestle with selfishness because that's at the core of who I really am. And my emotions can still get the best of me. My heart has not made me perfect. My new heart has only made me forgiven. I haven't arrived yet. None of us have. And so we look to Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, to give us the second step to addressing the mess of our hearts. And he says this, that we need to guard our hearts. First, we need a new one. And like all new things, we want to protect them. Uh, right? We get a new vehicle. We park out at the last spot for a long time because we don't want to get the doors dinged. We protect the things that are new to us and that are important to us. And so Solomon says here that we need to guard our hearts. In fact, the two, the two first phrases in this verse are critical and paying attention to. He, Solomon says in Proverbs, above all else, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. He says first, above all 
else. What he's saying here is, look, I've told you some important stuff, but what I'm about to tell you is important or more important than anything I have told you before. He's saying, look, this is the thing to remember. In fact, all throughout Proverbs, Solomon writes on uh, and gives advice on relationships and he gives advice on marriages and on sex and on money and on all sorts of things he talks about. And out of all of those things that are important, he says this is more important. He says, above all of that, above all else, guard your heart. This this has to be a top priority. This is something we have to give time and attention to doing. Guard your heart. And so, I'm not sure what's on your list of priorities for the year 2020. I know some of us have made some New Year's resolutions recently. Maybe, maybe you resolve to do better with family or do better at your work, or maybe you're going to exercise and lose weight, or maybe you're going to work on finances and you want to get out of debt. All of those things are good. All of those things are good priorities. But whatever else you think is important, Solomon says... Above all of those things, guard your heart. You want a New Year's resolution to top them all? This is it. Guard your heart. So I think, okay, great. Well, what does that look like? I mean, if I'm supposed to guard my heart, well, maybe let's get a working definition of what this word guard means. It's just to guard diligently against the enemy which we have, to regulate with careful discipline or to maintain with proper supplies, to guard our heart in this way as defined, it really involves two parts. It's both guarding our hearts from what comes out of them as well as guarding our hearts from what comes into them. And so let's start with what's going out of them this morning because what most comes out of our hearts are out of our emotions. And someone said these words. This phrase stopped me. They said, our emotions make good gauges, but lousy guides. Our emotions, they make good gauges, but lousy guides. If we let our emotions lead us, if we let our emotions guide us, that can be a pretty dangerous place to be in. We can make horrible messes if we let our emotions take control. But that doesn't mean emotions aren't important. In fact, I love what this author said in his book, uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. I would encourage you, if you want a good book to read this year, grab this one. And he says, ignoring our emotions is turning our back on reality. Listening to our emotions ushers us into reality, and reality is where we meet God. We see this playing out over and over and over in the Psalms. David, he writes many songs and many prayers all out of his emotions. He shares with the Lord what he is feeling over and over again. And David is said to be a man after God's own heart. So we know that we can't ignore our emotions. They are important. But the question is, how do we guard our hearts against that overflow of those emotions that aren't healthy. How, how do we do that? Well, let me give you a couple of quick ways. The first way is check the gauges. Check your emotions before you speak or act out. 
check them. In fact, there's a phrase that we use around my house. When somebody starts getting fired up, when somebody starts getting uh, emotional and they start talking and you know it's going to go bad, somebody inevitably in my house will say this, these words. They'll say, whoa, 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 check yourself before you wreck yourself. I'm, okay, I'll be honest. That's mostly said to me <laughs> in my house. Check yourself before you wreck yourself, meaning, whoa, whoa, whoa slow up. A second, put a break on your emotions because you're about to get into trouble. Instead, first, before you speak, before you act, it's important to identify what you're feeling. Identify what you're feeling. Go deep into yourself and ask yourself, man, what is really going on in my heart here? Why am I feeling this way? And identify it. Am I feeling frustrated? Am I feeling angry? Am I feeling left out? Am I feeling embarrassed? Am I feeling unappreciative or ugly or unlovable? Am I feeling like a failure? Is what's happening here making me feel old or lonely or abandoned or scared? What is this emotion I'm feeling? Am I feeling like I'm, I'm out of control? Am I feeling betrayed somehow? Am I feeling picked on or jealous or, or disrespected? What am I feeling? And I tell you what, this list is a great list to reference before you speak or act out. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. And I know this might cause you to slow up. And I know this might cause you to even possibly lose the argument you're in. But you know what? Taking a moment to reference your emotions and slowing up and maybe even losing that argument, think of the mess that you could be saving from yourself later on. It's worth it. And once you've identified what you're feeling, this step is important. So if you're writing something down, write this down. Say it out loud. Name it. Name your feeling. Say, I feel jealous I feel hurt. I feel disrespected. Say it out loud because emotions are powerful. But when we say them out loud and we give them a name, they begin to lose some of their power. And, and, and as long as we can begin to own our feelings, you know what happens? Sometimes we recognize things like, you know what? This wasn't even her. This was me. And, and she would say, you know what? Maybe this wasn't even him. This was me. We begin to own those emotions. As long as we keep them a secret, they have power. Take their power away. Now, I'm not suggesting you go around town and tell everyone what you're feeling all the time. That's not what I suggest. When I say speak them out loud, that could be to yourself. Checking yourself could just be, wow, what am I feeling right now? I'm feeling angry. That could be just to me. I feel disrespected. Acknowledging these things to ourselves is powerful. Sometimes, though, sometimes it's good to acknowledge them to God, too. Just like David in the Psalms when he would tell God, God, look, I am confused here. I am frustrated here. I am scared here. David confessed those feelings, not just to himself, but he confessed them to God. And sometimes it is good for us to share those things with God too. Lord, I am feeling this way. I want you to know 
I'm feeling this way. Share it with him. And sometimes, sometimes it's good to share those feelings with the person that's making you feel this way. And let me tell you what I've discovered. Learn from my mistake, please. This is what I've discovered. When I share with someone how I'm feeling, most of the time, they're completely unaware that what they did even made me feel that way. It was unintentional. They had no idea. And when I've approached them and I've said, you know, when you did this, when you said this, it made me feel this way. Most of the time, those people are surprised and will apologize. They're sorry for it. Mess avoided. Mess avoided. But there's more than just guarding our hearts against what comes out. We also have to guard our hearts against what comes in. And this, practically speaking, we can guard our hearts against things in ways that I've shared with you a thousand times. Guard your hearts against what you watch. Our phones, be careful. Guard your hearts against what you watch. Guard your hearts against what you hear. Guard your hearts against what you believe about yourself. This is where placing limits like we talked about last week is such an important thing. In fact, I remember singing this song when I was little. I can't remember if I sang it with my mom or at church or somewhere, but we used to sing this song that went, um, uh, Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down at love. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Did anyone else sing that song? And then I think it was, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Be careful, little mouths, what you say. Be careful, little hands, where you go. All of those things. Uh, Without knowing it at the time, we were singing a song about guarding our hearts. There's There's some practical ways we can do this. But instead of spending some time on these, I want to I spend the time giving you the most important practical thing you can do here. Every day we're bombarded with things that come into our hearts. And Paul gives us this solution. In chapter 4 of Philippians, Paul says this, Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer. And petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and then listen to verse 7. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts. Prayer. It has to start with prayer. Guarding your hearts means going to prayer. It's taking to God everything. He doesn't just say some things. He says in every situation... Good or bad, go to God in prayer. Bring stuff to Him. Bring Him everything that's going on. And then, and then in verse 7, He says, it's then after prayer that you will experience peace. And that peace will guard your hearts. That's, that's how we do it. Prayer. You want to guard your hearts, you need a new heart. And then after you get a new heart, now you need to guard that heart. And then this brings us to the last step of addressing the mess of our hearts, and that is that we must ask Jesus to guide our heart. We can't do this on our own. It is impossible. We must allow Jesus to be our guide. 
In fact, just listen to this prayer from Paul in 2 Thessalonians. He says, May the Lord lead your hearts into a full understanding and expression of the love of God and the patient endurance that comes from Christ. Paul prays this because he knows that a lot of other things can, can lead our hearts. We struggle with this over and over, and I, I want to just wrap up being as honest as I can for a moment. I'm going to be as truthful as I can. Because Paul prays that we would uh, uh, that the Lord would lead our hearts into a full understanding and expression of God's love, and I'm telling you this: that we will never fully, fully be able to address the mess of our hearts. We will never fully be able to allow God to guide our hearts until we fully understand the expression of God's love in our lives. We will never fully be able to do that. And just like Mr. and Mrs. Mug, if it's what's in us is what spills out of us, it isn't until our hearts are full of that love that that is what is going to spill out of us. I'm overwhelmed when I think about this. Because God created me to love me. God, God, everything he's done in sending Jesus into this world, and then he took my sins, and he took them to the cross, and then he died, and then three days later he rose again. All of those things happen because he loves me. He's offered me a gift of forgiveness. He's offered me a gift of salvation, and all of those things are because he loves me. When we fully understand the extent of God's love towards us, it will change everything. It'll change our hearts and what spills out of us will be that love, and we'll look crazy. But then Paul goes on to say, may we come to the full understanding and expression of the patient endurance that comes from Christ. We'll never be able to fully address the mess of our hearts. We'll never fully be able to allow Jesus to guide our hearts until we fully understand the patient endurance of Christ. How can I not be patient? when he has been so patient with me. And when my heart is full with the understanding of that patience, that patience is what's going to spill out of my life. You know, imagine what would happen to the Mr. and Mrs. Mug if they were being guided by this kind of love and patience. Imagine what happened when the bumps come, and they come, we all know they do, When the bumps come, what spills out of them is not a complete mess to be cleaned up, but is instead what spills out of them is the love and patience that was being guided by Jesus. Can you imagine in their life the mess that this would save? And I wonder about in your life. What kind of messes would be saved if what came out of your heart was love and patience? instead of all that other stuff. I wonder, is it time to let Jesus guide your heart? You want to dress the mess of your heart? You need a new heart. Not a fixer-upper, a brand new one. You need to guard your heart. What comes in and what goes out. And the last thing is you need to let Jesus guide your heart. It is only then that we can address this mess. 
I'm glad you're doing this with me. Would you stand and let me close us in a benediction? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this from Paul. And it, and it was his prayer to the church. And you know what? As, as a pastor at the chapel, it is my prayer for this church as well. And it comes from 2 Thessalonians 3. He says, But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one. And may the Lord lead your hearts into a full understanding and expression of the love of God and the patient endurance that comes from Christ. Amen.